Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Adam Hawkins. In each episode, I present a small batch of theory and practices behind building a high-velocity software organization. Topics include DevOps, Lean, software architecture, continuous delivery, and conversations with industry leaders. Now, let's begin today's episode. I'm taking small batches back to its roots for the next series of episodes. I've written nine coffee cup sized servings of software delivery education based off of Dr. Steven Spears' 2009 book, The High Velocity Edge. The 10th episode in the series features my conversation with Dr. Steven Spear. The High Velocity Edge offers a simple hypothesis Organizations with higher learning velocity beat the competition. Today's organizations are complex, adaptive systems that fail in curious and unexpected ways. This is evident in the story of Mrs. Grant. Ms. Grant was recovering from cardiac surgery in the hospital. The day nurse noticed Mrs. Grant having a seizure at 8.15 a.m. A code was called and blood work rushed to the lab. The blood work revealed an undetectably low serum glucose level. Ms. Grant's brain was sputtering out like a car on an empty tank. Attempts to intervene intravenously failed. Her condition worsened until she went into a coma. She died weeks later when she was taken off life support. So what happened to Ms. Grant? The hospital conducted an immediate investigation. The investigation showed a nurse responded to an alarm at 6.45 a.m. The nurse diagnosed a potentially fatal blood clot. The nurse injected a dose of the anticoagulant hairpin to break up the blood clot. The nurse left the room when Miss Grant was resting peacefully. So how did she go from resting peacefully to on life support in under two hours? Well, a minor detail and a frantic moment culminated to kill Mrs. Grant. Harapin could have saved Miss Grant. Instead, she was given a fatal dose of insulin simply because the nurse grabbed the wrong vial. The investigation found that both vials of insulin and hairpin looked the same. Well, of course, they're labeled differently, but the type is small and the specific details are even smaller. We've all seen nutrition label information of a list of ingredients on a soup can. Now shrink that down 10 times. To make things worse, the vials were also placed close enough to each other so one could mistakenly choose the other. That's exactly what happened. Sure, the nurse may have correctly identified hairpin, but combine that with someone in a rush responding to a critical alarm in a dark room and at the end of the overnight shift, it's doubtful. I can put myself in the nurse's shoes because I've done the same thing. I've pushed code to production that was seemingly correct and then went about my business. And later, things failed catastrophically. Here's an example of a time that I killed Mrs. Grant. I had just joined a new company. The standard onboarding process was to ship a small change to production. I committed my code change and then completed the code review process. Engineers much more familiar with the code base than me approved my change. All systems were go, so I deployed my change to production. Immediately afterwards, user records started deleting themselves from the database. Huh, what? How could I have done that? I just changed this one small thing over here. Well, more experienced engineers stepped in and diagnosed the problem. Turns out that my change had an unexpected side effect that was not caught by the existing test suite or code review. 
Some code path modified an instance variable which triggered a code path that deleted data. Unfortunately, my code was executed on every request, so every request deleted data from the system. I was killing Mrs. Grant every time a user visited our website. So who's to blame for killing Mrs. Grant and who's to blame for all that deleted data? Well, the nurse did what they were expected to do, give the patient medicine known to prevent blood clots. I also did what was expected of me, test my change to the best of my ability and have it reviewed by those more knowledgeable than myself. So whose fault is it then? Is it the pharmacy who arranged the vials? Is it the code reviewers who didn't identify the fault? That's possible, but what if they too were just doing what was expected of them? In that case, the process itself is the culprit. If the process is the culprit, then wouldn't people like Ms. Grant be killed all the time or more bad changes go out to production? Spear offers some research on the topic. Research showed that 5 to 10 patients are injured for every patient killed by an error in the medication administration, like the one that killed Mr. Grant. Then, for every injury, there are 5 to 10 close calls, like identifying the wrong medication before administering it. For every close call, there are 5 to 10 slip-ups or mistakes. If the same is true about software, then 5 to 10 people may have also written code with unintended side effects. Then, another 5 to 10 people would have realized their code had unintended side effects before deploying to production. Then, another 5 to 10 would have committed code that had unintended side effects, of course, some worse than the others, detectable or not. The truth is that there were hundreds, if not thousands, of opportunities to save Mrs. Grant. Then all it takes is one person to say, hey, we're mixing up these vials. That could kill someone. We need to do something about it. Or, wow, this code is doing something unexpected. We'll need to make our system more deterministic or add a test for this. Sadly, that's not what happened. These cascading failure signals indicated the process was inadequate and should be modified. Instead, the failure signals were considered obstacles to overcome as noise in the daily process. Each person got their job done, but they did not increase the chance the next person would have a higher chance of success. All these factors culminate in a lemony snicket's type of series of unfortunate events. So-called high-velocity organizations are different. They strive to continuously reduce errors and increase failures through applying four capabilities. Number one, system design and operation. Two, problem solving and improvement. Three, knowledge sharing. And four, developing high-velocity skills and others. We'll cover these in future episodes. You've just finished another episode of Small Batches, a podcast on building a high-performance software delivery organization. For more information and to subscribe to this podcast, go to smallbatches.fm. I hope to have you back again for the next episode. So until then, happy shipping. Like the sound of Small Batches? This episode was produced by Podsworth Media. That's podsworth.com.